Bandwidth for this week in photography is brought to you by Cashfly at C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com. This Week in Photography is sponsored by Audible. Go to audiblepodcast.com slash twip for a free downloadable book. This week on the show, it's all Q&A as we talk about traveling with photo gear, pro lenses and ISO, and sports illustrator models, Hawken G9s, right here on This Week in Photography, number 29. Hey everybody, this is, we're back. <laughs> this is like the barracks in the military at night. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> so we have started yet another this week in photography, and as you can see, it's started to a roaring start. Uh, it's been uh, it's been nothing but jokes here for the last half hour, and uh, we're getting started. We're not gonna we're just not gonna stop. We've got Steve Simon in New York. Hey, Steve. Hey guys, good to be back. It's good to have you back. And uh, here, the troublemakers, Scott Bourne. I'm not the troublemaker. I'm trying to keep you two in line. I think you're the chief troublemaker here. And uh, and Fred Johnson. Hey, Fred. Hello, hello, hello. So, uh, and we've got an all Q and A session. These are very popular. That's right. Well, we get so many questions. That we simply can't answer them all. So we get, so we try to catch up. We never, we never actually catch up. Um, we, no. uh, we, we try to get a little bit closer. Uh, so what we have today is a representative grouping. Yes, yes, exactly. And and a lot of times when you're sending your question, and if we don't answer your exact question, a lot of times we end up with five or six questions that are all kind of in a very close group, and we we pick one that that answers the the overall view of it. Or if you ask a question that we don't answer at all, it frames how we approach the show. Because I'm working on this, Alex. I'm working on and have gotten positive yeses from four almost, well, three for sure, one maybe, of the catalog book printers who people, you know, are constantly emailing, where can I get my books printed? Where can I get my photos right. printed as books? So rather than answer those questions, we're just going to put together a show here coming just up this summer it. where we're going we're to test some of these places like Blurb and Azuka, and we're going to have representatives on to discuss right. what they do, and that's how we'll answer your question. So your question will be answered in the form of a whole show. Yeah, right. That's great. Exactly. As opposed to us mentioning it on the Q&A. Uh, yeah, perfect. And, and we have uh, just a little bit of news. Um, coming up here, Aperture fixes and expands raw support uh, for OSX 10.5.3. Now, I will say that I would um, I would delay your 10.5.3 upgrade. Uh, I haven't upgraded yet, and they're, they just came out yesterday. Is that yesterday or the yeah. day before? It came out two days. We tested Wednesday. it last night. It's okay. Uh, yeah, there's a lot of reports of CS3 users oh, that well, are unhappy. So, so there I, are some, I haven't used CS3 for a while. Sorry. So you may want to... <laughs> Oh, because you don't have it, right? <laughs> no, I have it. I have it. I have it. Thanks to you, and you're very generous. I thought that, that was way. a. I thought that was a bar. My, my staff no. uses it. I, I don't use it. But. So you may want to if you're if you're looking at ten point three, uh, ten point five point three, you might want to just check out on the web. There are some reports. I haven't tested it because I saw those reports and decided, you know. I might just wait for a, a day or two to uh, to figure that out, but evidently there's some some uh, bugs, and this this kind of stuff happens. You fix, yeah. you change it. What they, what's, what's happened is is that Apple has changed some infrastructural graphics stuff, you know, to to uh, you know to this newest update, and uh, and that may cause some rippling effects uh, on a variety of applications. Uh, so you just this one may be one of those ones you might want to let. Um, ripen on the on the vine just a little well, bit we before you jump right on, on it. We tested it on Aperture and iPhoto, no problem. Well, those are Apple products. Yeah, and we tested it all the raw 
decoders for the new cameras that we had, no problem. Right. So it, it's so if you're using those, you're fine. But yeah. but if you're using CS3, which a lot of a lot of people are, unlike yeah. Scott here, um, a lot of no, people my staff them. uses it every day, but they don't use the cameras, so we're safe. So so the uh, you might want to um, you might want to watch, check out the web, check it, make make sure that things are how, how things are going. This news will constantly move. There'll be updates across the board, but. and you can download the raw decoder profiles separately. Right. Right. So if you're just if you're worried about 10.5.3, but you want to get support for that brand new low end Canon camera that's taking the the world by storm, right? Then go go ahead and just it's like a two megabyte download for the new raw profiles. Also, uh, new Epson wide format printers announced. Announced. Announced, but they're not shipping yet. No. So this is the Stylus Pro seven nine seventy nine ninety and nine. Ninety nine zero zero something or other ninety nine hundred. I still need one of those. Is this is this the replacement for the thirteen inch model we've had already? Is this? No, no. These are twenty four inch and forty four inch versions. Oh, those are, well, you're missing the thirteen inch one then. I missed the thirteen. The thirteen one. one inch one is the one that's supposed to be hot. That's oh, really? The replacement for the twenty eight hundred. Okay. So and and uh, right. all of these use the new inks. The ultra chrome HDR ink. Yeah. And, and, uh, and the it, inks are look. Check this out. Okay, the inks are photo black, light black, light light black. Plus, <laughs> no, I'm not kidding. Photo black, light black, light light black. Plus cyan, light cyan, vivid magenta, vivid light magenta, yellow, orange, green, along with matte black. In the old days, we just had red, green, and blue. Yeah. <laughs> you guys remember when oil? Blue. Photo black. I mean, we're up to eleven cartridges now, and I think really, I'm hoping it's not going to go much beyond. It's all a Trojan horse to just have you buy more ink. Pretty soon it's going to be, yeah, yeah. we have 16.9 million cartridges. Each with a drop of ink in it. <laughs> well, you know, I, I looked at this very carefully because that is a consideration. And there's pretty good ink ink usage promised on all of these new printers. However, you know, if you have the little bit bigger printers, like the 3800, the one I use, it gets way better mileage per cartridge. So, Well, if you're buying one of these printers, you're not worried about the, the ink cost, right? Yeah, generally not. But I will. I'm going to give oh, everybody. Always going to worry about. That. I'm going to give everybody an early tip in the show here. This is not, we usually give our tip at the end. But here's how you can save some money. Epson's printer driver tells you, oh, it's time to replace your Vivid Magenta cartridge. They're lying. You can keep going, and it'll print all the way till it literally runs out and stop. You can then insert the new cartridge. It'll pick up where it was printing. Your photo will look perfect. You won't know the difference. And you can get an extra three or four prints out of each cartridge that way. Uh, I've tested it ad nauseum because I didn't want to pay for the cartridges. So I've tested I've tested the cheap little cartridges that you can buy, the generic cartridges. Yeah. Yeah, they don't work that well. I am not surprised. Yeah, I was going to ask about that. Have you ever done the refills where you can actually squirt the ink into yeah. the cartridge? No, I haven't done that. We 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 ordered some. We were we had, at one time. I think Scott was actually here. There was the, like this one moment where all of our printers were out of ink, and so and we were you know and, and we were like, oh, we'll just order some or, order some more ink. And then of course it took like ten days to get here, and then there was like ten days of no printing, and then when we got it. It didn't work. You know, this this particular building, our listeners aren't aware of that, has the technology necessary to launch and retrieve the space shuttle. But there ain't a freaking printer in this place that's worked <laughs> since 1995. You know, printers are so last century. Because they're know, all video. It's all about, it's all about my, uh, my, my little... Uh, I, I, you know, I got one of those East Starling. Um, have you seen these little uh, photo frames? Yes, I showed it to me. It's oh, good. yeah, yeah. The, um, and I have to admit... It's a good thing for you. It doesn't need ink. It doesn't need any if it ink. Did, you'd never I don't have, have to it. print anything out, and I and I just email my photos I to understand. it. I understand. I just email my photos to it. I, I email them. 
Well, if the if the Epson people are listening, no, no, no I, I email my photos to the to the to the photo frame, the East Starling photo. Oh, frame. that's the one that you were supposed to. Oh, that frame. Oh, that, that one, the one I was supposed to try to get you. One? Yeah, thanks, <laughs> thanks for that, Alex. It looks great. I'm working in my on it. I'm working on it. <laughs> Well, if the Epson people are listening, there are those of us who do print. Show us some love. Send us a review unit, and we'll talk more about it. Scott will re- review it. I'll just say, you know, I I, I, I send I'm, my printing out to services. I'm not giving up my 3800, though. <laughs> oh, yeah. Me and the 3800 had many wonderful hours yesterday. Did you make some more of those cute little 11 by 17 wallets from your D3? Uh, yes, I did. <laughs> You suck. <laughs> so also Microsoft, it, it, just in case, just in case. You, so the problem is, is that, that Scott has, it has, you know, he's got 22 megapixels or whatever that is. But, but Microsoft is one up in you. I heard about this. 216 megapixel camera. Can I buy one? I don't think so. Okay. Then I'm not worried. Would you buy one if you could, though? <laughs> Probably. Why? I want to have the most megapixels. <laughs> you know, I'm you're really... the guy. You're the guy that buys the red Porsche, aren't you? <laughs> I'm not. No, it's Ferrari. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> oh, get it right. Four thirty spider. <laughs> get it right. You know, I'm just not. You know, I, I, until it's a gigapixel, I, I just don't know. I understand. For you, it won't. And, and of course, you can see artifacting inside anything. <laughs> <laughs> Using uh, it uses thirteen. CCDs. 13. Um, sending them through 14 CPUs. Um, the camera captures data at 3 gigabits per second, um, and uh, which led them to use two infinite band uh, cables rather than one uh, 14 firewire cable. Wait a minute, this ain't over a USB cable? No, it, you know, <laughs> oddly enough, it didn't did did pass it up. So, uh, so anyway, that's uh, that's the, the sh- definitely check it out. We're going to have, of course, all of this in the show notes, so you can check it out. These are really great for these huge. I mean, the the what you're getting is fourteen thousand four hundred and thirty pixels by nine thousand four hundred and twenty pixels. Now you can blow that up on a wall. Yes, you can. Each shot is a billboard, basically. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, which is what would make it useful. Now, what they're using it for actually is uh, capturing. Uh, orthogonal data for virtual earth that's their competitor to google earth okay so that's really what um, yeah you'll never see that camera coming through your neighborhood <laughs> big you flatbed know, truck pulls up in front of your house and says excuse me a, a second little, it's a little camera it's a little camera you know oh, okay. now we, we, we you know they google earth came through here they came through uh yeah they came through on a vw we, i saw it and i couldn't quite i couldn't quite get down there because what, what i wanted to do was is run past and do these like crazy you know what, what you need is like Just two people signs that say pixel core twit <laughs> yeah yeah exactly or, or 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 do like have have two dudes fighting on on one block and then the same dudes like hugging on the next block like you can tell like a whole <laughs> like a story, story. Nice. like block by block by block you know there's all these opportunities I'm, I'm thinking they've been trained to look for that uh you know they they've left a lot of stuff in there now, you're they, too, they weren't trained to you're too young to know this but steve simon might know this not because he's old but because he He's dabbled in more of these kinds of technologies. You know what a circuit? And, and I'm old. You know what a circuit camera is, don't you, Steve? Uh, no, I guess I'm not that old. You're not that old. It's a panoramic yep. camera that the the lens moves from one side to the other. In the old days, when you used these oh, circuit cameras, yeah. so we'd have what we call runners. So you'd start the panoramic shot of a group of people on the right, and then some smart as kids would run around the back behind the group and by the time i got there and by the time the lens got to the edge so they'd be on both the right and the left side of the picture were they all wearing wine cloths or how far back was this This isn't that far back and the quality was fantastic on those things wasn't it yeah these actually it's it is about it is about a you know it's a, a very old technology but they were still around until the early 90s 
And there's probably somebody for, still like university pictures. Yeah, like they have yeah, a yeah. whole the marching band the picture. There's still somebody out there, I guarantee you, that has a circuit camera. In fact, I know a guy that has one in St. Paul, Minnesota, and he his dark room is like seventy feet long and he makes contact prints from the thing. And it's wow. just crazy. But um that that just sort of reminded me of that. I'm sorry to digress. <laughs> <laughs> Rebel. I have a great one. I'll have to put it. I'll have to put it up on the uh, on the Flickr site. I have a picture. I took a panorama at Union Square, and this guy was walking with his laptop or something like that. And he and there's he's like in this, all the pictures. There's like a ghosted thing of him. Just you just see him walking along. You know, and it, it, it's a little that would be good. Odd. We ought to see that on the. We ought to have that on the blog. You know, I'll put that on the on the top of the blog. Yeah, or, well, or that, that space may not be available very long. Oh, <laughs> there we go. So, uh, so we'll put it on for the 45 seconds. So you better go up to the blog. And all check I can it out. say is I think there's going to be a sponsor called Lens Babies there pretty soon. Nice. I love Lens cool. Babies. Me yeah, too. pretty excited. So the um, also <laughs> for a, you know the for our crazy uh, you know G, we have a G9 here in the, the room office, in in the office. Uh, Fred Fred's got one and. Uh, I think we all have one, right? Or I don't have one, and mine's still sitting in Southwest. You have somewhere. one somewhere. Some Southwest employee has mine, <laughs> and um, the uh, um, but they have Sports Illustrated models. This is we have a link in the show notes. Sports Illustrated models, hawking G nines. It's just pictures of Sports Illustrated models with G nines. And the sad truth is that the target audience is probably more interested in the G nine than the <laughs> yeah. Sports Illustrated. They're like, would you, would you look at the light? Would you look at the light one. going over top of that lens? Would you yeah. look at the look at look at how the detail uh, so comes? How many megapixels is that? About a forty four D. So it's on. Oh. It's on Flickr. <laughs> it's on Flickr, and you're trying to figure out like who. Who shot them? You know, like who got the the models? To yeah, start? who got that gig? My my guess is is that the, probably the photographer working on some of this stuff just got them to hold the G nine, grabbed his G nine. Okay, okay, yeah. You know, that's that's the that's the that's my guess. Um, and if you're a Sports Illustrated model, you're listening. I've got several G nine. <laughs> Look at that. You, you, you know, you can't candy? really see the G nines very closely because they've got all that supermodel in. If they would have come in a little closer, yeah, yeah, yeah come on, get the supermodel out. There's the target market right there. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Steve's the supermodel is <laughs> taking up all the space. We can't. And look at the G9. What's so. with all that skin? Can't yeah, see yeah. the camera. <laughs> Very distracting. <laughs> the um, uh, Nikon has released updates for uh, View and X and transfer. So this is if you're a Nikon user. Um, you, uh, have you have you guys downloaded this these updates? I have not yet. Steve, have you downloaded these? No, I haven't. I mean, I, I have to admit, I'm just using Aperture, so I, I haven't I haven't I haven't tried it. I haven't tried right, it. Right. I should. <laughs> It's, it's a guilty. He's. I, I should do something with that, but I'm not going to. Uh, <laughs> I really should. With it. He, he says he should, but that doesn't mean he's actually going to. It's. Uh, we won't no. go down that path. The, know, uh, Alex, someone on that, that same Nikon vein there. Someone told me that because of the severe vignetting on the 70 to 200 Nikon 2.8 lens, that there was a firmware update for the G3 that fixed that. Did you hear about that? I have not. And how can you fix vignetting in firmware? I don't know. Hmm, um, interesting. If I, any of the TWIP listeners have heard about that, well, you can you know. can fix vignetting. Uh, I don't know if I, this is a long story. Let's not go down this. You, whole, there's a way. This to, sounds like it's dangerous. All I can say is there's a way to fix vignetting and and uh, stuff with in a Photoshop process. So you yeah. could you could do fo- you, you could build that on the firmware chip. Well, I mean, I guess. it's yeah. built into Lightroom. You can just you know drag a slider. But I'm like, I want it fixed in the camera. Well, it could know? fix it in the camera. Although I'm always scared if the camera's doing that software kind of stuff. I kind of like to do that myself. Mm-hmm. You know, like I don't like the camera to do the sharpening for yeah, me. I don't like the camera to yeah, like I don't. Yeah. I don't want it to really do exactly. any work for me. I, I'd rather, I'd rather know how I'm going to handle that later. And not, lens. It's a twenty-one cent EEPROM making that decision for you versus mm-hmm. a five hundred dollar pixel editor like Photoshop. I'd, I'd the most powerful pixel editor on the planet. Mm-hmm. I'd far much more tra- trust Photoshop than an EEPROM. Right. Lightroom, right, right. So, so that's that's. 
Also, uh, redesigned camera muffle um, ships. So this is a sound muffling enclosure uh, for the Canon and Nikon digital SLRs. Uh, it's improved sound reduction. And so that's uh, shipping in July. Um, it's going to be about uh, 125 to 135. Do you guys ever use camera muffles? I've never used well, one except yeah. one time on a movie set. What's a camera muffle? It makes it quiet. It just, yeah. Oh. It, they used to call them bubbles or balloons. You just put your SLR in and then you can't hear the blimps. Yeah, right, right. that's another yeah. phrase. But you know what? Like this thing uh, looks pretty cool. But as far as actual movie work, because I have a friend who has done some movie work, and uh, there's only one manufacturer of the blimp that all the movie industry uh, people that are shooting stills use. And it's co- quite expensive and kind of not, not all that necessarily ergonomically uh, great. Um, but this thing, like, what are when, when would you really use that if it's That's not quiet enough for movies? Well, I mean, I have to admit, like, during when it's the same thing for us during shoots. You know, it, I take behind the scenes, and I but I can't take them during when we're actually shooting the episode because you know it'll make too much noise. Um, mm. So uh, you could use your G nine and turn off the simulated shutter click when shooting lions. You know, oh, the, uh, good idea. Good you idea. Know, you know, you know. Suddenly, you, you, the click and the line turns over and says, "I will eat you now." Mm-hmm. <laughs> this is the picture of the line coming towards me. This is the picture of the inside. But of aside the from those edge cases, like you have yeah. access to What's behind the scenes thing? on a movie set, or your Alex in the middle of the <laughs> African jungle, <laughs> when did you use that? Not, not often. Usually, people like to show off the fact that they that their camera makes a lot of noise, like Scott. Born. Oh, no, what kind of board? I, I no. wasn't showing off. I was taking pictures and it happened to make noise. <laughs> what can I say? I was taking pictures of Leo in Leoville. And those are up on my Flickr site. Are they on the, oh, did you get them up? Got them up. Shot them at 3200 ISO. And uh, it definitely is usable at 3200. I, I initially, I wasn't quite sure, but then it was because I hadn't turned on the ISO high noise reduction. And, uh, you know, it's not, as, it's not as noiseless as the D3. <coughs> However, it does retain more detail, and, of course, there's a lot more detail. Well, we still have to do this head-to-head shoot soon. Yes, well, we, we, we did it. We actually shot the shots. I've, we did it unscientifically. It was though. very much no, a grab shot. No, yeah. ne- next week. Yeah, we you're can gonna do bring, a You're going to bring them both in? Yeah. Oh, yeah. And we'll shoot a video of it, and we'll put it up. But we'll, We need to shoot a test pattern. No, we'll shoot it here. We'll, in even light. Yeah, we'll do yeah. We'll, 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 we'll set up the, the, but I did, the office I did here make to a, shoot it. I made a portrait of Fred with the D3 and the, and the 1DS Mark III, and, and I, we shot them both at 3200. I'm going to downscale mine to that right. minuscule size of the D3 sensor, <laughs> and, and then we'll com- compare I'm it. not even going to take the bait. I'm not, take, <laughs> I'm not taking it. Well, what we'll do is we'll, 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 we'll shoot a... Um, a test pattern. We'll shoot a Macbeth chart. Um, you know, we'll shoot you know that kind of stuff, and so we'll, we'll try to figure out uh, you know what, what we can. We'll try to get as close to apples to apples as we can, as far yeah. as resolution and everything else, and cool. and uh, and see what we get. So Scott um, will leave the room quivering. Oh no! I mean, I I, am, I fully <laughs> expect that the Nikon will have better noise performance, but less detail. Yeah, and we'll. But let, let's see one where you don't scale it down, Scott, so we can just see what the advantage is. Uh, yeah, well, I, I thought about posting the one I just took of Fred, which is like literally a grab shot. I shot it at a 40th a second handheld lit by one lamp in our entire studio. Yep. And um, the problem is, is that I'm worried about the bandwidth cost. Because, oh you know, right. 20,000 of our listeners downloading yeah, this yeah. huge file, I'm going to get a knock on the door from my bandwidth provider. So if you all want to chip in on that, we'll make that available. You could cut a sample of it. You could have, like, the yeah. thing, and then here's the, here's I, the I one actually, by one And that's sample. the thing that's interesting. When you're working with that many megapixels, I don't want to spend too much time on this. But, you know, I actually cut out just a quarter of his eye. Right. And you know what? You could print it. Yeah. There is that much detail. Interesting. Oh, we'll, we'll definitely do that. I'll, I'll be looking to forward to this test. Deathmatch Nikon Canon. 
<laughs> we just got to figure out a way. To, we just got to figure out a way to make the the Nikon three thousand dollars more expensive, so there's actual parity. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. So, um, site of the week, we've got uh, Panoram Panoramio. I can't say it. Like Daddio with Panorama. Panoramio. In fact, in fact, Aaron actually, I looked at it. I was like, how can I pronounce this? And then in parentheses right next to it, it says pronounced Panoramio. <laughs> so uh, for Alex, like, uh, it would be nice if I read ahead just one more little edge there. So this is a, um, this is a site where geotagged photos are collected um, and you can include those in um, uh, Panoramio uh, layers in Google Earth. This is actually really cool. If you go to Google Earth and you have it set up so that it'll actually display them, uh, you can be in um, Zimbabwe. That's where I like to, to mosey on around uh, uh, with Google Earth. And there's photos that people have geotagged. So when they take the photos, they actually get attached to a certain place um, in, uh, in uh, Google Earth. Uh, and it's, it's just a lot of fun. I've, I've gotten into the habit of when I'm traveling somewhere, uh, if I'm traveling around that area, I'm, I, I, it's one of those things that I do in the airport while I'm waiting to get somewhere is that I will go up to Google Earth and, and kind of check this out. And it's really, uh, you know, worth, uh, worth checking out. So, if you look at mine, it'll just be every Ruth's Chris Steakhouse in the United States. <laughs> <laughs> I just know where all the Starbucks are because that's where I get connected. So, uh, you know, my, my whole thing is, is that that's where I get my internet connection. So uh, I'm usually uh, very, very focused on Starbucks. Um, I don't even drink the coffee. So, uh, um, but anyway, you can go up to the website. You can see what they're doing here. You can upload stuff. This is, and this gets into a. Uh, I'm going to be doing um, some more videos. Aaron got me to. I, I got my my geotag, uh, my little device that I can um, that I can use. Uh, but I haven't had time to run out and start shooting on it. I think I'm going to do it this weekend actually, because I think I'm going to go up to Petaluma, and so uh, I'll probably shoot around and tag some stuff um, as I go through it. And this this allows you to attach attach that. And it's really interesting when you start mixing this stuff up. Um, with figuring out where you're going to go, you know, for a trip, so um, or okay. taking pictures and letting I'm everyone else do to it. seeing that. Yeah, definitely. Also, we have this is this week two of the current challenge adventure adventure and I do not mean go to an Indiana Jones movie and take a picture of the screen. <laughs> this is a little more adventuresome than that. <laughs> so and and, and uh, there's a lot of stuff up there already. It's, it's already and, piling, and up. it's a very wide array. Well, we're, of what we're starting. We're starting to get close to five thousand members. I know it's crazy. And starting. I think maybe even next week we might be. We can, we're on track for a week or two away from five thousand. We got better than two thousand, I think, now in the um, critique form. Critique form mm-hmm. and or no, is yeah, that's critique form. And then we're well over a thousand, aren't we, for the um, challenge pool? So we're. Yeah. You know, we're, we're trending up towards 8,000. So the, the word is you don't have to, there's no longer definition of adventure. It's just adventure. If you, if you have. No uh, matter what I say on the blog, I get 10 emails at least every day saying, <laughs> well, could, it, would this be adventure? It's up to you. <laughs> you decide. So, uh, so anyway, so make sure to take, take your adventure. It'd be great if you took something now, Yes, but you can upload stuff from older, older adventures. Yeah. We tend to, if you want a chance to win the prizes, mm-hmm. um, we, we tend to favor those images shot recently. If there's a draw, I'll always pick the one that was shot most recently. And, and if you, if you really want to, you know, fly to an exotic place and take, <laughs> take photos of lines chasing you and you're definitely in the inside crowd. Yeah. Yeah. I guess so. But you know, that's a lot of work to go through to win a couple of books. And if you can yeah. find a model with a G9 being chased by a lion, then you got that's a not. great adventure photo. I'm probably going to pick that one sight unseen, just <laughs> so you know. Alex didn't really mean that, by the way. Just. 
<laughs> yeah, yeah. My, 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 uh, my. Uh, I should probably do a legal disclaimer. Of course, we do not. Uh, right, so. <laughs> we do not condone putting your children in harm's way. We do not condone harm's way just for our. <laughs> just to make it clear, Mister Attorney, the last sentence was spoken by Alex Lindsay <laughs> of Pixel Core. <laughs> The key is, is just, just remember that when you're being eaten, the key is to throw the camera up. Yeah. Save the camera. <laughs> Timer. Timer. We had it. We actually had a shot. We had a shot. I'm going to go into a little rat hole here for just a second. But the, we had a, did I talk about the crocodiles? I haven't talked about the crocodiles. No. So we were shooting, we were in, we were in Tanzania and we were shooting, uh, we were, we had a guy shooting a panorama, um, right, right by a little, uh, like a little pond and there was hippos on the other side, which was enough of a reason he shouldn't have been there um but these there's alligators in the in the pond you know and and so he's shooting this panorama and these two alligators get you can see the little two little eyes coming up and then they're and then they're sitting about you know 20 or 30 feet into the water and i'm like uh so you need to get out of you know you need to get out of there now you know you know there's the the uh the alligators definitely or the crocodiles definitely know that you're there and uh and uh, then you see the little eyes go bloop and drop under the water, oh. and I was like, I was like, I was like, so, so Todd, you have uh, you have about thirty seconds, you know, for, you know, thirty to forty five seconds before they come out of the water. And I said, just remember that when you, you know, if, if they start biting your leg, throw the camera this direction, you know. And I think that was enough for him to. Uh, he got out. Yeah, you, you know, their photos are valuable, but yeah, I don't know if they're worth an arm and a leg. They're not worth Maybe as much as the just camera. A foot. Yeah, yeah. It's, so. <laughs> So anyway, so we've got questions. We've got questions floating around here. Um, so uh, first question is from, uh, I, I want to say, Simon or Simon, uh, Simon, I'm sorry, Stern. And, it, and, uh, and he said, uh, and this is, a, this is a good one here. So um, he said, I've just become a regular listener via iTunes, and, and I heard you talk about Lightroom. And I have Lightroom 1, barely used it, but now downloaded the beta. He said, I'm puzzled about how to save photos after importing them. Um, and how to rid a batch of imported pics after I've worked on them, um, uh, or how to get rid of a batch of imported pics after I've worked on them. This does not have this does not have a conventional quote unquote save method. Uh, also, if I delete a pics imported into Lightroom, does uh, that delete the pics um, in my pictures file, the main storage area? Now, I thought Fred might have, be able to shine some light maybe, on this one. Maybe, maybe. So uh, there's a couple questions here. I think the first one is um, when you import. Oh, actually, there's it's a bunch here. So after you import the photos, um, your Lightroom, and once you sort of do your edits on the images, Lightroom isn't really saving, or Lightroom is saving your changes as you go along. So there's no save command. You know, you're correct that there is no save command within Lightroom. So as you go along, as you make little minor edits or whatever, it's remembering each time you click and drag or each time you make an edit to the image. So you don't have to worry about saving. And this is the same way with what, you see, what you see with Aperture. A lot of this stuff is all, mm-hmm. it's, it's uh, lossless. You know, it, it's, it's basically just, it's an instruction list of this is what you want to do to it. Exactly. So when you're making all those basic instructions, whether you're in iPhoto, Aperture, Lightroom, all of these things are just simply remembering the, it's, it's writing that little XML file that's saying yep. you did this, then you did this, then you did this, then you did this, yep. and, and that stacks all of that up so you don't need to save. Exactly. And anytime you want, you can hit reset and go back to what you started with. Yeah, or in, in Lightroom, and I think in Aperture as well, you can go back in history to any point in, that, in the timeline of changes that you've sort of right. been messing around with the image. But when you get to the point where you want to export that image, uh, that's when you 
quote unquote save because you're actually compressing all those changes down into a flattened file. And that's when you go export, make me a TIFF, make me a JPEG or whatever. So that would be the save. And that's when you're actually creating and taking up hard disk space with, an, with yet another image. Um, and then the yeah. other piece of this, yeah. what were you going to say? Um, Steve, were you going to say something? I heard you. Well, I was just going to say it's, it's kind of a new way of thinking for those that are used to using Photoshop. And it's almost you know, a little scary for them not to be able to save or save as just because you know, that's what they're used to. And they're afraid that they're going to lose images. But, but that's how these new systems work. And, it's, and that's what's great about them. Yeah, totally. I remember back in the Photoshop, what, two and three days where you had to sort of have in your brain a image management methodology. Like, okay, oh, I've made three changes. Let me save another file so that just in case something happens I won't lose it so you know and you stop and you stop doing that yeah <laughs> Photoshop is rock solid you should so. see you should see my well no but I mean you should see my photo like anytime I do something in Photoshop that is a that is a um a destructive edit mm-hmm. you know usually that, that means there's another version you shouldn't be doing destructive edits though in Photoshop yeah there are things adjustment that you layers layer masks you know there are yada, yada, yada. ironically there are smart things, objects come on Alex there are things that you still have to in this version of Photoshop <laughs> that's a, there that's are a whole things. other show and you know what I have to admit I still just duplicate a layer and work on it I've yeah. never really I mean no I do a lot I mean I, I definitely use the adjustment layers the I smart objects to, to, but took I me a little while I just can't get used to it because I learned it the old fashioned way yeah. and I just well if it works you know you got the muscle memory then do it but you know no, if you I, want to go back into a file you, was, later I was working with these we have a couple Pixel members uh, that are really high end pre-press guys I mean like super high end and they saw me working you know this is year, a couple, two or three years ago and they, they saw me working away and they're like so you're not using adjustment layers you know you know like, like you know and, and, and he goes why why is that and i'm like well i don't really understand you know it doesn't and, and they were like here watch this and they and they did this little adjustment layer. I was like okay <laughs> the I light I bulb. Use that. yeah i was like i might want to use that again you know and so uh, and, and and now you know i my thing is is that you'll stack up adjustment layers then you'll add um you'll add uh mats to the adjustment layers and you know and and uh, it's very very powerful um but but there are times when you are going to do something to the photo that right. will uh i'll concede it yeah exactly and i probably don't use it as efficient so just record. quickly the last part of that question was about where the image is stored and when you delete how do you delete it so when you import images into lightroom uh it gives you the choice of either leaving the images where they are on the hard drive or importing them and letting lightroom manage where they are so typically what i do is i have my own little har- hierarchy on my hard drive and i leave them i tell lightroom just leave them where they are but you know note where they are and build previews from that that way i can manage uh you know i can build my hierarchy and then just have lightroom replicate it or mirror that uh now when you delete a file uh lightroom will if you like select a file or group of files and hit delete or right click and say delete um it's going to ask you do you want to delete these do you want to delete the previews or do you want to delete the actual files from the file system so you can delete the reference to the file so it no longer shows up in the application or you can delete it from the file system itself completely and it'll just basically throw in the trash for you so you know you and all that, have that the, flexibility the aperture in photoshop i mean i mean in iphoto are similar you know the mm-hmm. similar Same kind thing. of processes so yep. that, that, that question kind of goes across yeah, all it's like standard across applications just so you, know, you have that flexibility of either deleting the reference or deleting the whole file right next question we have um is uh, some advice on traveling in the air uh, with camera gear um this is from steve uh, van sack and he said for um he said i'd like to hear uh, some tips on traveling uh, with photography equipment. I, uh, I'll be flying with such gear for it the first time in a few weeks, and uh, I'm wondering what I can expect from air, airport security. 
Uh, I was also curious about whether it's possible to rent tripods as opposed to traveling with them. Um, uh, anyway, so that's, uh, that's his question. Did he say where he's traveling to? He didn't say. It's yeah, so a very different answer if you're traveling internationally versus nationally in the United States anyway. You can, you know, you can generally, if, if you know how to act and if you can afford a first class ticket, you can get, bring anything you want on a plane. Right. Um, if you're that's going, for, that's for Scotty Warburton. If you, well, no, there's other people too that go first class. But even if you don't go first class, if you know how to act. I like, I like cable. I, 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 I usually, I usually side with the, uh, the, the cow, the, you know, the, the, the cattle area in the back. Right. Well, yeah. if, even if you, if you fly Southwest, which doesn't have first class and which of course I've never been on, Ooh. if you fly Southwest, then, you know, you'd be nice and they'll sometimes let yeah. you bring stuff on. But I don't care if you literally have angel wings and you're going to Europe, it's like 12 and a half pounds or whatever it is on Virgin Airways and they stand there with a scale. And if you're like an mm-hmm. ounce over, they just cut your so, head off. So actually, <laughs> so actually, I, I will tell you that there is there is a way around that. I okay. know where you're going with this. OK, <laughs> this is the best question, right? This is the best answer he's going to give right now. I love All it. right. So Heathrow, for instance, has this issue where they only allow you now. They, they've relaxed it a little bit for, for, for a long time. It was one bag. Which is insane. You know, how do you take right. equipment with one bag? So, um, so I wear uh, um, can't, I wear my um, pants. You know, my I, um, cargo pants. I was going to say thank you for that. And I, I, wear, I, I like to, I like to wear pants occasionally. Unlike today, you know, you know, you know. No, I still so wear my pants. So I have cargo pants on, and uh, but more importantly, I, I I usually travel with a Scotty vest. Okay, a Scotty vest has forty um, pockets. <laughs> And, and and the reality and the, and it's got a huge pocket in the back, two big pockets in the front, um, and a whole bunch of these little pockets everywhere else. Now remember that a jacket is not a bag That's and right. not under the same requirements as a bag. That's correct. So if your jacket happens to weigh forty seven pounds, it's 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 hard to walk the through the line. But as soon as you get to the line, what you do is what I what I do is I actually have a I have a little fold up bag, you know, one of those little bags that folds up into a little pocket. And I put that into one of my pockets for the Scotty vest. And then I just pack the, the Scotty vest up with all the gear that I need to, to, to carry. That's like, you know, I put the cameras are actually in the other bag, but like all the other gear that you end up carrying some lenses and everything else. And you just, and then you just set the bag down. And, and of course the guy will kind of do a double take when he sees the, when he sees your jacket go through. And then as soon as you get through the security line, they're not going to check at the, they're not going to check when you get on the plane, only when you go through security. So what you do is then you just pull everything out of the thing and put it back into a bag and walk away. You know, the, the, the situation is changing all the time. And I think that's why Heathrow Airport's avoided by a lot of photographers. I that's stopped, flying, I stopped flying through Heathrow because of that. It's the only place where they actually weighed my carry-on. And let's face it, all photographers are overweight on their carry-on if they're carrying their, their photography. And kit. I'm just overweight so, in I mean, general. <laughs> I mean, they should really weigh the passengers if they're going to really be fair about it. That's I mean, always been on. my argument. But, but, you know, one, on the one, of the, one of the things I was going to say is that, you know, I've, I'm amazed that I hear from people that, you know, they're going on a big trip somewhere and they don't take their good camera because they're afraid something's going to happen. The first thing I would say to people is make sure your stuff's insured and right. expect to kind of something bad to happen and it probably won't and everything's going to be fine. And travel, and travel insurance it, is like 80 bucks. Yeah. You know, my, yeah, I, ship, yeah. I ship my gear FedEx now because oh, really? uh-huh. um, if you in the old days when you could lock your luggage in the cargo mm-hmm. section of the plane, you could buy a Pelican case and lock it up real good, and right. everything would be fine. Right. But now it's you know if you if you put a D three in a case in the cargo hold, no matter how secure it is, and you expect it to be there when Forget you come on the it. other side, you're crazy. Well, the other thing to remember is is that the TSA requires you to unlock the the, That's the bag. That's right. 
But that's not required in almost anywhere else in the world. Right. If you're so, U.S. So only. what you do is uh, one of the things that, that I've done is, is when I've flown into, for instance, Heathrow, um, is I will land. I'll check my bag out because I'll have like a nine-hour layover or I'll have a whatever. I'll check my bag out. And, um, and then you can have it. You can lock it from there on. Right. And you can wrap it. So there's these guys. Yeah. You'll see these guys that are usually sitting there and they've got some little like uh, turntable and they've got these big plastic wraps. And you just take them and, and you, you hand them that and, and they'll wrap it up. They'll mummify it right. essentially. And then they'll cut holes for the, for the wheels and cut holes for the handle. And what will actually end up happening is, is that's way too much trouble generally for most other airports. Now, I wouldn't put my, my best equipment in there no matter what. You know, um, but there are times when you just simply can't carry everything. You have to check some of it. And – Sending FedEx to Africa, for instance, is well, that, to Africa is it, it not, it's not possible. But if you, yeah. if it is, it's just well, no. it's not practical. It's not as practical. No, another as, another. As the cost. Oh, sorry, Scott. What were you say, Steve? Well, I was going to say another uh, really good tip I think for photographers is you know really get there early because even going through security in the United States, I've once been asked to empty all my yeah. my carry on bag of all the equipment because they can do that. There was mm-hmm. something a few months ago introduced where they 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 might ask you to sort of empty everything into the bins and lenses are rolling around in those gray bins and it's it's not a not a very happy uh, situation for a photographer. So I mean, definitely get there early. Another tip that I like to do is is you know those IKEA bags they sell for like 99 cents those big plastic things yeah i i I tuck one into my my you know carry-on size uh i'm using a think tank uh uh, bag or roller um but occasionally you you're going to get onto a into a plane where even that though it's regulation size they may ask you to sort of put it somewhere so if i have to i'll just take the stuff out of the bag put it in that ikea thing which is sort of tough as nails and uh, bring it on the plane because i don't want to check my 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 camera equipment you just don't want to do that bag is a lost bag yeah there's another thing i heard about i don't know how true this is and maybe alex you guys can uh, chime in but uh someone was telling me about a year ago that if you're traveling somewhere with a lot of camera gear and you happen to own a legally registered firearm that you and you want to fly with that if you tell tsa or the airport that hey there's a firearm in my bag they will you know, all things sort of shift and they will protect it with their lives as it goes through oh, everything. I never heard all of your idea. stuff, even if it's a little pea shooter. I think or something. I want to buy like a little 22 and just put it in my, in my luggage all the time. Just <laughs> yeah. like, oh, by the way, there's a little 22 in there. Because if they it lose a really firearm, work, you know, the airlines lose a firearm, it's, you know, probably I a bad thing. That. I've actually heard that and, and I have, I have to admit, I've, I've pondered like a little, like a little, like a little 22 that doesn't actually work, like pull the firing pin out and do yeah. all this stuff. I just tell oh. them that it's in the luggage. Yep. But before September 11th, I used to put biohazard hazard stickers <laughs> on my pelican cases and you know nobody ever wanted to open there's, there's another thing is, is that is that you um uh a couple things if you do it if you travel a lot one thing is is that i use there's um uh they a couple companies make these little bags these little um kind of modular bags mm-hmm. uh travel smith and and a couple other ones make these little bags that you can you eagle creek they're like wraps i almost. have like well they're, they're like regular little bags they're like little zip zip oh, bags okay, with little meshes about. on the top mm-hmm. and i have like a hundred of them of different sizes and i pack everything i pack my clothes i pack my electronics and i I sort everything and I put it in because when TSA is looking for something, they're looking for something specific. And, you know, they saw something that they're looking for and they'll tear your bag apart. And if you leave, if you have all your wires that are kind of like just in some pocket, it makes sense in the bag. But as soon as they pull it out, it's everywhere. So to make sure I don't, and I've lost like USB cables and and firewire cables. And so what I do is I keep everything, like everything in my carry-on is all in some little modular bag so the TSA can take it out and put it back in. They're much happier with you. Right. You're much happier That's with them. That's a good idea. You know, the other thing is... If, is if, what do you say, Steve? Go ahead. 
No, I was just going to say, you know, if they don't stop us when we go through security with all our hard drives it and wires <laughs> and quantum packs, then, then yeah, it worries me. Now, They're I, not I doing say, their job. The other thing is, is that is I pay a lot of attention to how I stack my stuff in my bag and wh- and whether I lay my bag down. So I actually like I the way I put my batteries together, um, the way I put everything together is something. So I actually think about whether the. Um, uh, whether the X-ray, what it's going to look like on an X-ray, is it going to look like a battery or is it going to look like a bomb? You know, and and mm. and the um, Alex said bomb. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so so now, you know. So the 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 main thing is is if you start thinking about that and like what I'll do if I get if I get stopped, I'll ask them. Like I changed my batteries the way I, I stored my batteries in the last flight to New York last week, and uh, mm. and the uh, and I was stopped immediately. And I asked him, I said, what are you looking for? You know, I mean, I'm just, just curious. And he said, uh, uh, you know, you hit the batteries, the way they were set up, it, you know, we couldn't tell what it was. And so, and so now I know I need to go back to the old, <laughs> the old way of having it, the batteries, you know. And so pay a lot. If, if you, you, if you carry too many batteries sometimes, I was one stop because I had probably like, you know, 30 double A's. And right. they made me take them out and yeah. check them just for obvious reasons. So well, we certainly other thing, a lot of information on I this I probably question. said this oh, yeah. before, but, but uh, you know, the idea when you're traveling – I mean, you know, when I hit 40, and I think I've said this, you know, all my shoes are slip-ons and all my yeah. cases have wheels. I mean, you will yeah. be happy that oh. you have wheels on your I, I have. And, and, and remember that the, the little latch on the front means you can hang your backpack on the front, on the back of your of your bag if you get one like that. And you should. If you're going to do it, all of my, I, I never travel without slip-on shoes. I usually have, don't even have heels in the back. Um, and the other thing, the last thing I'm going to say before we move on, there's a thing called, that's coming out in the U.S. called a clear card. And it is the key to the whole operation it's four minutes from the time you get out of the cab to the time you're at your gate i time it it's like average four minutes because you basically it's a 99 dollar a year ticket to bypass every line you know every you know you just it, now you still have to go through security but there's nobody in front of you <laughs> so it's like you're having your own security line you've been at, pre, uh, you've been pre-checked by the fbi well they they, they give you um uh they uh do iris scans uh f- you know all your fingerprints you know they do a background wow. check you know so you have to go through that process but mostly um they and you still you still go through security it's not like it's right, any different right. it's just that that you don't have to stand in the long line you they have a the, separate security line just separate for security you? line just for Ooh, just for clear i like that jfk sfo um, san jose uh, I don't know if it's San Jose. I yet. think it is. I've yeah. seen. I've seen those. It's a little clear people. box. If you see the little clear box, yeah. And they used to make it so that you'd you'd actually just r- go in front of someone's line. You know, they just push you into the line ahead. Of, they have like a little concierge <laughs> oh, who just kind of pushes you in front and sticks. And it, may, it feels a little uncomfortable, but not so uncomfortable that you won't do it. And, um, <laughs> <laughs> and then, they'll never see you again. And then, no. and then, and then, and then because <laughs> what's funny is people in the line think that you're just that you're you're late for a flight or you're someone that has to exactly. get somewhere. So they they never think anything of it they don't realize you paid to be able to cut in line and so so don't look so lines. relaxed when you go through exactly like, look exactly. like you're in a hurry like you're frazzled exactly okay. it's like really that. uh worth it all right next question we're up to three questions i'm excited but that was a good question a lot of people ask me we about, should actually do a whole show on, uh, on traveling yeah that's yeah. that is a whole show really yeah, that, that's a whole show so we'll, we we'll, just almost did a whole show <laughs> we could do part two of that show so next one could you please discuss the difference between um second curtain shutter and rear shutter sink doesn't it, can anyone, did I stump, mm-hmm. did we stump the chefs? I, oh no. I don't, you know what? I'm, I'm going to take a shot at it. Okay. I, you know, I'm no one going to get lamb blasted for this. I don't think there's a difference between second, second curtain shutter and rear curtain sink. What it is, is when you take a photo, 
Uh, the, and Scott is doing something weird. He's trying to burn. He's trying to burn the <laughs> Scott's notes. Starting Scott's starting a forest fire, fire at an IKEA all right, light. All right. So anyway, <laughs> so when when you take a photo, normally the shutter uh, is tripped at the beginning of the. Am I telling the same? Well, well, at the beginning of the exposure with the rear curtain, it's at the end, so that you know when you when you take a normal photo, what happens is uh, the the lights. If there's light, moving lights in the scene or motion or whatever, the trailing end of that or the blur will be ahead of the subject. So if you want it to appear realistic and have the blur behind the subject, you have to engage rear curtain, which which triggers the shutter at the end of the exposure. Right. Um, I, I think they're the same thing. I, you know, there's slow shutter and rear shutter, and I think that's really kind of it's just semantics but yeah mm-hmm. that's exactly yeah. it Aaron do you have any, anything to add to that because you did, you did some research in this area oh well second curtain and rear curtain are two names for the same thing yeah actually so Fred was right about that I mean you're, you're right about the whole thing because uh, it, it has to do with whether you're whether you're firing the shutter at the beginning of the exposure or the end of the exposure, which is whether you want to freeze the object or have kind of like motion light streaks on it as it leaves. Is this a difference in just how it's referred to by the different manufacturers? Yeah, exactly. Okay. That's as far right. as rear or nice second technique. as a term, yeah. Yeah, that's mm-hmm. what I was thinking. It's a nice technique, though, isn't it? I mean, we've seen it For before, motion. but it's very For effective. Motion, it's very yeah. cool. Yeah, especially if you're shooting you get a little objects with flash and have the trailing behind them. Yeah, yeah if, you, if you like the pan blur effect you get when you're not using flash. Mm-hmm then you want to play with this when you're using flash because you can have the flash effect be panning with your subject. Yeah, right. And you want On to kind of a related post. note, the the 580 EX2 flash, which I was just using recently or just added recently to some of my gear, has a strobing capability too where you actually set the frequency of the strobe in hertz. So you can actually have it fire you know, at fractions of a second apart across an entire exposure, which can lead to the object having multiple exposures as it passes through a frame. Sorry, the Nikon so. flash doesn't do that, friends. I don't no, know. no, it does. It you does. Know, I'm it just does. joking. It has I, the same I actually okay. don't own a Nikon flash because I don't need one. <laughs> I was just joking. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> you stick your hand into the lion's cage, boy. Come on. <laughs> well, when you're printing wallets, why would you need a flash? <laughs> nice try. So we have a, we have another question here. Um, this is uh, from uh, Greg uh, Parisho, and uh, it is uh, talking about. I've listened to discussions about high ISO digital SLRs that are now available, like the D3 and D300, and um, uh, and uh, and so I'm wondering, do high ISO SLRs eliminate the need for pro lenses f2 zooms specifically uh no uh, what, hold, 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 <laughs> no. hold your horse <laughs> can i take a question no. here so, so, so um there seems to be many highly rated uh prosumer lenses um that are sharp and have high iq um they're very smart very smart lenses. high iq <laughs> is that what it says <laughs> it says high iq um, um but the, but in the past you need 2.8 to capture some types of shots uh like high speed uh race cars and inside um sports and concerts but with high iq ISO of 3,200 to 6,400. Um, can I save money on lenses? Uh, oh, and, and even he, see, I didn't get to the end. Of the, by the way, my, my name is uh, Parashow. So, uh, Greg Parashow. Well, here's the problem. If the only thing that the lens aperture controlled was exposure, then that's a reasonable theory. Right. But you're also talking about depth of field. And distortion. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so if you... Overall clarity. If clarity, you, yeah. If you want to be able to you know, take an image where you, you want a nice blurry background right. and you're working with an F5.6 lens to save money because you're going to rely on that high SO technique. The problem is, is you're not going to get the background bokeh that you'd get out of a 2.8 or a 2 or, or even a 4. And so that's that's one big issue. The other issue is, like I said, clarity, image brightness in the viewfinder. There, Remember, when you see an image in the viewfinder of a DSLR, 
what you're looking at as is what the lens shows at the widest aperture. Now, it, your, your, your viewfinder image, regardless of what aperture you've selected in your camera, you can choose f22. The preview you get in the viewfinder is the wide open preview. So the ability to get a nice clear image in the viewfinder even is impacted by how fast the glass is. Also, the sweet spot of the lens creeps up towards the middle. So if you start with a 2.8 lens, you're going to find a sweet spot there around f8. If you start with a 5.6 lens, you're going to find a sweet spot up there around f11. That means to get the lens at its sharpest, you're going to give up the ability to blur the background. So there are reasons to continue to buy good lenses. And in my experience, those 2.8 lenses, I mean, not only, you know, do you have that maximum aperture, but the quality overall of the lens. I mean, yeah. nothing is really, uh, no corners are cut. And it really is, you know, you're getting, you are getting what you're, you're paying for there. The lens is a little bigger, but the quality, uh, you know, is unmatched by the, 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 the cheaper lenses. For and I sure. just want to say for perspective, I mean, we have a lot of our, our audiences is uh, much younger than me but the lenses you buy today even the inexpensive lenses are so much better than the lenses we used 30 years ago that uh, you're you're always getting good glass with anything you buy today but you can get really good glass if you spend the money on the high-end stuff and and steve's absolutely right they you know they the manufacturers aren't stupid they know that when they're going to be charging two thousand bucks for a lens or thousand or whatever particular lens you're looking for cost they've got to put all the good stuff in it and they tend to reserve that for the fast glass yeah, but I mean the one place where I would tell this uh, gentleman Greg to to you know maybe it won't matter is if if you know that your final output is only going to be like small images or only on the web and you're not necessarily concerned about quality uh, you know overall I mean sure you can shoot at those high ISOs and you know you're giving up on quality but they're going to work fine on your website or as small prints but I think most people are in this to try and maximize their quality so well, yeah for the most part uh, and I, I you know, can't I get Totally, I'm very addicted to the uh, to the bouquet of you know behind the uh, behind the subject. And, so, and by the way, we don't care whether it's pronounced bokeh or bouquet. We just don't care. Although although uh, I have been um, told over and over again that it's bouquet, and I've been told over and over again it's bouquet. <laughs> so we just don't care. I've never I've never heard it as bouquet. That's a, that's a first for me. So but, so, uh, we'll, uh, so we'll sound very just, flowery. Just, you know. So those of you who are busily typing as you as we speak to send us an email where you're going to flame us because how we said it we said it both ways. Is it bo- <laughs> oh wait, bouquet. I, I said it bouquet. either way. <laughs> yeah. So oh, wait, think, I'll I'll wait for the user feedback. At least one of us think, is right. So save yeah. your email for something important. <laughs> Alex is speaking French. I think okay. really bouquet. Okay. I'm going to vote present on this one. Actually, okay. I think it's based on a Japanese term, actually. So Yeah, but you know what? It's like I've been to Japan. I lived in Japan, and I talked to people about this in Japan. They say, no, it's bokeh. So what the hell? All I can say is, wakarimasen. Exactly. Um, and another question really quickly on uh, on the ISO versus quality uh, is that someone, at, you know, they have the assumption that ISO is always, uh, lower ISO is always higher quality. Is that always the case? No. Not always the case. So when is that not the case? For instance, if you're using um, a camera where you have a special low ISO mode that you have to go into a special menu, like to go down to 50 ISO or something, you're actually just doing the inverse of pumping up the ISO. You're, you're employing an amplifier basically here, Alex, and you're, mm-hmm. you're amplifying the signal in a different direction. So you're, each of these sensors is technically always capturing at one ISO. There's just one ISO for each sensor. Right. And then the simulated 
ISO on the camera, up or down, is just based on gain. How much gain do we add or take away? So when you change the normal ISO result, you're always going to slightly degrade it, and you can degrade it a lot by going too much up or too much down. And every camera has its own sweet spot. Are those spot. published anywhere? The, you know, they were years ago, but um, here's what I suggest people do. Now they've gotten cagey. Yeah, just get a just get a just get a test chart mm-hmm. and shoot with polarized lights and shoot at every ISO and then, you know, look at it under a four hundred percent loop and ask yourself what looks best. And that's the, your native ISO. Uh, the Canon like we should be doing. The Canon cameras tend to be in the neighborhood of two hundred ISO. I think most of them are set. Yeah. Two hundred, I think, is pretty much the. Yeah. Uh, from what I understand, I think two hundred. Well, is when I did this the- test on my one D Mark II, which is you know about a four year old Canon body, it was two fifty ISO two fifty was the native ISO. I actually got poorer results at one hundred. Hmm. So yeah, that's and, my- that's and that's what I heard that the I heard that the, we when we were talking to. Uh, Oh, we were talking to somebody about the Nikon, and they were talking about when you go to the lower ISOs, yeah. that the, the, there's actually a lower quality at the lowest ISO than there is one. Yeah, yeah. The D3 up. actually starts at ISO 200, and to go down, yeah. like what Scott was saying, you have to go to a L, special menu. L2. L, no, a special menu. You can still go down, but it doesn't say ISO 100. I see. It says L02. L O. You know. Yeah, that's always a sure sign that you're starting to degrade the image. Now we're talking about nitpicking pixel pushing, measure beating, degrade degradation True. here. It's the kind of stuff that if you oh, if I blow that up to 30 by 40 and look at it with a neutron microscope, I can see some grain here. <laughs> yeah. Right. You know. Kind of like the people yeah. that claim that more megapixels is better. It's absolutely not necessary to have 21.1 megapixels as long as you're fine with 11 by 17 wallets. It's okay. Oh, you know, I, I'm so another, another question here. In video production, we're taught to zoom uh, all the way into the eyes, get our focus, and zoom out and recompose the shot. Um, does this uh, still apply uh, to photography as well? Should I zoom into the eyes, lock focus, and then zoom out and recompose um, or should we set the zoom length first, tilt up uh, and focus on the eyes, and then recompose the shot? I understood the first part of that question, but I lost him at the second. A, a lot of it, the, 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 the upside of the question is, is, is related probably to, to back focus to some degree, but mm-hmm. the idea is can you, should you zoom in, get your shot, if you're doing uh, a manual focus, mm-hmm. zoom in and focus and then pull back, or, no. or even zoom in, and the autofocus will focus the same way no matter whether you're zoomed in or not zoomed in. The way, the way that yeah. I shoot is, you know, I, it, the last thing I do is focus and press the shutter. So I'm going to, if I'm taking a picture of Scott here, I'm going to focus on, I'm going to get my focal length right, get it Wide cropped. Angle. Get it cropped how I want it. I'm going to focus on his eye. Right. And then I'm going to shoot it. Yeah, you know, I'm you not going to focus yeah. and move the zoom. There's no need to do this, although it would it would work. I mean, it's well, a lot of times I think with video cameras, one of the things that we do is that the image is moving and you're setting a right. focus. You're, you're setting a manual. You don't use the autofocus on a video camera very often. I mean, some people do, but we don't. Um, because it'll constantly, it'll get lost. Right. So there's a moving, it's not like a still. It's your, things are moving around and what you don't want is it to suddenly start focusing on the background or on the yeah. foreground. And so, so you want to lock it off. And so what you, um, you know, what we tend to do is do exactly that. We zoom in and then focus on the eye and then zoom back out and then we know that their face is going to be in focus. So that's you know, with that's video though. With video. But right. I don't think that with that audio the opposite. What I do is and, and with, I don't with use, audio? Not with audio. <laughs> you focus with audio? Wow. Like, you're good. <laughs> it's called it's called bat focus. <laughs> and so, and Maybe so, this is uh, so, for so, another show, but so, I, I wanted to throw out it. Oh, no, wait, just, you got you got it. Before you throw that out, you got to understand the bat focus is, is that what you do is you point the camera at it and you go <laughs> 
<laughs> Did you just curse me out in some <laughs> other African language? No, no, and, 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 you're, and you're using that you're using that clicking, you know, and, and you're waiting oh, for the vibration. Bad, you're waiting for the vibration oh, going back and forth, and that allows you to, to and you, you you have to you have to close your eyes like you're like you're Luke in the Force. Okay, and you I simply have, just I'm move the focus and all close, this close your eyes. Go, <laughs> and then and, and it'll it'll come right into focus. Try it. I'm lost. Okay, okay Steve, what were you going to say? All right, well, no, maybe this is for another show, but I was going to ask you guys, do you use the shutter trigger to focus or do you use the little button sort of by the viewfinder? Because um, I found that I'm using, I'm not setting the, uh, I'm basically using the little button and I'm setting my camera to continuous focus on on continuous tracking. So this way, instead of using the the, uh, shutter finger, um, I can focus, let go. And recompose and shoot, and it's sort of like single frame. But if I'm in a moving situation where either I have to move or my subject's moving, I could keep that little focus button down and shoot, and it's going to track. So in, in, a, in a sense, it gives you the best it's of higher, all worlds. It's a higher-end camera solution. I mean, because not all the cameras can track. Yeah. But, True, but, but a lot of them do. Yeah, a lot of the, a lot of the upper end, uh, the, like, uh, will that track? Yeah, well, G9, the G9 yeah. tracks? Yes, okay. it does. Yeah. So the, um, yeah. uh, I think it's just a matter of preference. I mean, I've done it both ways. That sounds like a great solution. It, I, I definitely want to try Steve's you technique. Can, you can I've do never the done same that. thing by pressing the shutter down halfway, too. You just have to but, make sure that... But it's that, different. No, it's different because it's di- it, 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 when you press it halfway down, it, it focuses on whatever it was focused on at that point, but it's not going to keep on tracking and changing. Actually, it depends on the camera that you're using. If you're using, for instance, the 1DS Mark III with the 19 autofocus points and you set it to AI servo, it will track. Okay. Regardless. Interesting. It, it, it starts okay. with the first point that you focus on. Uh-huh. And then it assumes that's the main subject. It will track that subject as you move. If you're an AI servo. Right. Now, if you're in one shot. Yeah, what? Now, this sorry, is different. What I was, they're different for the Nikon. Well, yeah, yeah. This no, I really, what I was describing is it feels more like in the old days when I had good eyes and I could manually sharply focus. And, and basically, you know, it really is the best of all worlds in that you can use it as a single frame, like lock in and then recompose and shoot. Or if there's action, you can just hold your button, your finger down and, and move with it. And you don't have to worry about um, using the shutter finger. You just use the shutter finger for the moment that you want to shoot. So yeah. it's worth a try. I, w- I would suggest it. I, I'm not going back. I, I really like it. I'm going to give it a shot. Steve, well, just remember the shooting? first the first week you do it, be prepared for several out of focus shots as you forget to push the button and you're instead pressing the. That shutter. is true. Yeah. I, <laughs> what, I, what camera are you shooting with, Steve? I'm using a, a D3. Oh, okay, got it. So Sorry. the uh, <laughs> the uh, checking. He's a photojournalist. He needs to make four by sixes. Uh, what the heck? Uh, you know. Right. Yeah. Exactly. So uh, so the um, uh, last matters. question, last question of the day. We're running out of time is a histogram question. It says, I have a question about a histogram display. He said, I understand, and this is from Fred Caldwell, and uh, uh, he said, I understand uh, how to read it left to right, but my question is about the top. What does it mean uh, when the information goes beyond clipped at the top? I understand what the question is here. Um, For example, seeing the histogram with a nice bell curve exposed uh, right, but what happens when the top gets cut off? Um, uh, does it go beyond is, 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 the question is is that clipping and the answer is no yeah, that data actually carries over to your next photograph <laughs> <laughs> so we started another, with bats whole another dimension right no it, so, doesn't, it doesn't mean a thing it's, a it display, mean, it's just yeah. a display thing yeah, the only just, thing you care about is the right and the left yeah so what you're worried about is seeing a lot of seeing your image go up on your histogram and to the, to the especially um, to the right and get clipped off where there's a big 
uh, beefy area of stuff on your histogram and it just gets sliced off, that means you're clipping. And that's, that's bad. Yeah, these bell curves, the people who are new at this and they see the bell curve and they start looking for the perfect bell curve that, that leaves you know, a big area, the center covered, but then trails off at both the left and the right side, they start to think every photograph has to have that. And well, you're, it's not possible because that curve simply represents whatever light's available. And if you have very high peaks in the middle, it's because that particular place on the line has got a lot of and, data. And what the histogram's doing is, is it's, make, it's doing something kind of smart, which is saying you have an enormous amount of information in this one area. It might be the middle gray right. or a darker gray, and there's an enormous amount of area. If, if I display that, the rest of your histogram will be like a little exactly. line. And yeah. so, so what happens is, is that to make sure that you can actually see something in the histogram, it goes, you know, that doesn't really matter. I'm just going to tell you you have a lot of it there. And, you know, and, and it's going to clip it off at the top. But it, it's not doing anything to your image. It's just saying that there's so much information in that one little area that I can't – if I displayed that, I wouldn't be able to display the rest of the histogram. And so that's, that's all that's going on with that. So you don't have to worry. Yeah. If it's clipping at the top of a histogram, it's just doing that so that you can view it. Right, clipping on right and left is what you're worried about. How it projects across it is not as important as making sure you're not clipping to the right and the left. If you clip to the left, you're going to have blocked up black. Right. If you clip to the right, you're going to have blown out white. Exactly. But That's keep in mind, too, that sometimes, you know, when you've, and, and we know this, but, you know, as you gain more experience, you realize that in some scenes, you're going to have maybe very dark areas with no detail, and that's okay, you know, depending and, and on the scene. sometimes it's even okay to have very bright areas with yeah. no detail. If you're Absolutely. shooting like a waterfall, for instance, mm-hmm. it, it doesn't, you know, it, it's not a hard and fast rule that you have data everywhere in the picture. Right, right. True. So um, now we have an opportunity to uh, thank Audible. We do. And, um, you know, audiblepodcast.com slash twip is the very special slash URL. Twip. Slash twip. I'm really enjoying the Spartans. Yeah. Thank you. I just wanted to get, I just kind of wondering if I was going to get through the whole URL before I heard the Spartans and I didn't. Let's try again. Audiblepodcast.com slash twip is 40, the URL that you want to go 000, to. 45,000 uh, uh, titles, including the Spartans. And you get a free downloadable book because we've worked this out with Audible. Now, listen, this, this in all seriousness, this is very important, Alex. Because oh, it's 40,000. It's over 40,000, yeah. not 45,000. I, I exaggerated. Yeah. They have been very good to us, and we're proud to announce that uh, they're going to continue to sponsor us next month as well. And the costs to produce this show are significant, and we have to pay for the bandwidth, and we have to pay for studio space and staff, and Audible makes really, all that possible. We have to buy a really good tea from, from England. Oh, wait, that's just yeah. me. That's you. <laughs> I like However, to throw that into the costs. To make that happen, we need help, and we get help from audiblepodcast.com slash twip, and what we're doing for you is we're making a free downloadable book available. Yeah, you're to crazy. You. If, if you haven't, if you're listening to this show and you haven't uh, gone and gotten your free book, you should just go get the free book. It's free. It's, it's and if you're free, looking for something doesn't to cost anything. read other than the Spartans, we have a pick of the week. There's this permanent pick of the week, the Spartans, and then there's <laughs> a other, another pick of the week. One day, Alex will be finished reading. And if we could just have a moment of silence here so that we could get our producer, Aaron, involved. Aaron, you have selected a very, very interesting book for us. Yes, um, we've kind of traditionally covered more technology books in past weeks, but uh, this week I uh, wanted to throw in one. I just finished a couple of weeks ago myself. Um, it's uh, Neil Gaiman's book Neverwhere, which um, I guess would probably best be described as a as a grown up fairy tale. Um, it's a pretty dark story, in a lot of ways. Uh, Neil Gaiman does the reading and does a absolutely tremendous job with it. 
uh, voicing all the various characters. And, you know, as the author, he obviously has his interpretation of, uh, you know, how it should be presented. Some very interesting exotic music that uh, ties together the segments between it. So it's, it's, it's almost more of a radio show production just in terms of quality. But uh, I, I won't tell you too much about the storyline. I mean, it, it kind of unfolds as you go along and, you know, it would really spoil it to give you too much insight. But uh, let's just say that it's based on, a, on an underground world parallel to ours in London, you know, referred to kind of as the underworld. And uh, some just tremendous characters in there, some uh, incredibly funny parts, uh, to say the least. But the um, first, uh, you know, a little ways into the book, I was a little curious as to whether I was getting into it. And it just kind of suddenly grabs you all of a sudden, and I couldn't stop it after that. So highly recommended, especially for the summer, if you just want to kind of escape, give everywhere a try. So we'll have a link to that title on our show notes, which you can find on our very popular blog at twipphoto.com. You can download that book or any other book that qualifies for your free credit by going to audiblepodcast.com slash twip. We thank Audible for their support, and we are proud to announce that effective Sunday. Sunday, Sunday, Sunday. Lens Babies is uh, sponsoring the show as well, and they'll be uh, sponsoring our blog at twipphoto.com. We thank Lens Babies for coming on board, and we're looking for more sponsors. So if you're a vendor, manufacturer, photo industry type out there, check out our blog. We've got address information, how to get in touch with us. We want to do more with the show, and we pretty much put all the money we get from the sponsorships right back into the show. So it'd be great to hear from you. Thanks uh, for that pick, Aaron. We appreciate it. And uh, coming up next week, we don't know. Uh, we don't know yet. <laughs> we don't but, know. We just like to let you know. We it's in the notes here. So we have coming up next week and uh, next week. We don't. We don't. We're, we're working on a couple. We're working people. on it. It's it's so it's going to be a special show. It's going to be a very special show, very, and very and, special and show. we'll have something of photographic interest to talk about. <laughs> now, are we going to get Ron Brinkman's bag uh, video finally this next week? week? So coming up, uh, it'll be Tuesday, or Wednesday of next week. We'll okay. uh, we'll pop that up. So that'll be uh, Ron. He shot it. We shot it a little while ago when things have been a little crazy. Like nineteen seventy three. Yeah. Well, I, I have one actually that I shot from nineteen seventy three. Will you recognize any of Ron's gear? Will it be available for it's purchase still, in it's stores? Still, it still will be. Okay. So, uh, so anyway, so, that would uh, be fun to see. Actually, yeah, totally. <laughs> your bag SX seventy in there. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, mine would have a, a, a nichromat <laughs> with a, a 200, mil- 200 millimeter f4 fixed focal length lens. Flash did you say flash powder? <laughs> well, I did, but you know, yeah, it's so, dangerous. Yeah, I'm glad we're not on, doing right that. So that'll be coming up in uh, in between weeks, and uh, also we've, we're going to bring Aaron back on for yet an- for one more tip of the week. So, uh, Aaron, can you uh, give us a little uh, inside info here? Sure, this is uh, kind of a quickie. I don't want to get too terribly technical about it. Um, but uh, we've talked in the past, actually, on the last Q&A show. I uh, kind of recommended to a lot of people, and Alex bought one as well. So did Ron, the uh, the AMOD AGL3080 um, GPS data logger, which uh, these devices, by definition, uh, are, are meant to be very simple and durable and uh, fairly low cost, so there's no display on them. And so the trick a little bit here is that in order to geotag, you need to synchronize the camera uh, clock with the GPS clock, but of course you can't tell what time it is on the GPS because there's no display to tell you that. It's going to get that data from the satellites. And uh, in normal conditions, if you've got your camera and your GPS kind of in the ballpark with each other, and you're out, you know, walking around, waddling around with your camera somewhere, you know, even on a 10-second or, you know, 30-second interval, you're going to be close enough for the distance you're covering, you know, to get a good match between location. But what I ran into a couple of weeks ago, I was actually shooting aerials from a helicopter going about 100 miles an hour. And my uh, 
my GPS was off on two different cameras, one about 30 seconds forward and one about 20 seconds back. So correlating it all got to be pretty painful because you've actually covered about a mile or more you know, in distance right. at that point. So if you're shooting from an automobile or something, you need some speed in there, it's all the more critical to have it aligned. And it dawned on me afterwards that one kind of quick way to maybe not have to worry about it so much is um, when you get out in the field, turn on your GPS, your data logger, it's going to take it 30 seconds or so to get synced up with the satellites. And when it does, the little green light's going to pop on as soon as it does. Hold it in your hand, point your camera at it, and, uh, and wait for that green light to come on. As soon as that green light flicks, take a photograph of the GPS in your hand at that point. And essentially what you've done is you've marked a frame, the first frame on your camera, as kind of as a bookmark or reminder, saying this is the point at which I got a GPS lock. So then later on when you download your pictures, you'll know that that point where you got your lock is the same point at which you took that picture, and your software can then help you figure out when you do the geotagging what the differential is. Was my camera 30 seconds or a minute or five minutes off? It's just kind of a quick way to mark time. Another thing, so, another thing that uh, that uh, I think might work, and it'd be, it'd be a matter of uh, checking it out, is is to try to uh, go through the effort of setting your camera to atomic time. You know, sure, because, that works too. Because the GPS is going to run on atomic time, so the uh, right, you know, so that might be another uh, way uh, to play around with it. But we're going to shoot, we're going to do videos. We're, we're going to have some other shows. We're going to have some other video stuff coming up soon. And so one of the things we're going to spend, Scott's going to talk more about technique and not not dig as much into. Uh, into the uh, geeky end of things. It'll still be geeky. It'll be Scott geeky. And, uh, but I'm going to get, you know, uh, Aaron and I and a couple of people are going to get into the like, nitty-gritty of crazy tech that... And if the last segment caused your brain to turn to mush, let, this me, will be modif- perfect. let me modify <laughs> this tip for you a little bit. If you don't geotag and you don't understand... I kind of got lost with Aaron when he just gave the model number of the <laughs> But if you, if you don't geotag, but you want to apply the same kind of thing to a regular photographic simple tip uh, those of you who shoot sports if you when i used to shoot basketball baseball just point your camera at the scoreboard for instance at the beginning of each quarter in a basketball game right then your editor knows all those shots right. that are between first and second quarter when they came play so that when there's a great dunk and the editor says i need to know when that dunk came in the game you're not standing going well i don't know say oh yeah that was in the first quarter right so you can use these same kinds of of frame marking techniques to figure things out on a regular basis great um so uh that's it uh, steve where can people find you uh steve simon photo.com great and uh fred um they can find me at adobe at adobe.com slash lightroom of course or my personal blog uh which is frederick frederick van.com f-r-e-d-e-r-i-c-k van.com and there there i'm linking to my facebook twitter all that good stuff scott where can they find you well tomorrow Tomorrow, where can they find you tomorrow? Tomorrow they can find me. Uh, Today they can find you here in San Francisco, right. but tomorrow you'll be in tomorrow LA. Be at Mac Day LA. Mac Day LA. Ah. Mac Day LA is an all-day Macintosh fair. It's fifteen bucks if you prepay. Twenty. <laughs> I guess we better the get door. the show up today, right? Yeah, we better get the show up tonight. Um, and uh, and I'm speaking at ten thirty on digital photography. So by before ten ten a.m. tomorrow, yeah, this show we'd will like be up. to have the show up tonight. Actually, uh, so I'll be there. But normally, you can just find me on the Twitter at Scott Bourne. You can also just go to scottborn.com, which I've opened up, which is my Ooh. Tumblr. My Tumblr blog, and I got to tell you, I'm probably going to be doing more stuff there than on Twitter. A, Twitter's down nine times. 
times out of ten. And, and, and now and is one of those nine. Now times. is one of those. And yeah, B, that's like that's kind of like saying you know no one no one ever goes to that restaurant anymore because it's too crowded. Yeah. Well, <laughs> it's if it doesn't work, it doesn't work. And and, uh, and, it, and also at Tumblr, where I can post pictures or links to pictures right. and a few things, little videos, a little little more. So I'm kind of digging the Tumblr. Excellent. Merlin got us started on the Tumblr, so it's his fault. But I'm I'm kind of digging the Tumblr. So Scott Bourne, either way, Scott Bourne Twitter, Scott Bourne Tumblr, and then of course Twip Photo. Our blog, I hang out there every day. I did, we did, you know, we didn't mention we did a, a poll change on the blog. Whoop. The the last poll, we said, uh, have you ever paid for a workshop? About twenty five percent of the people said yes, and I find that interesting because that sort of correlates to about the number of people who have made some money as a photographer. Right. So I think there could be a nexus between making money as a photographer and studying photography mm-hmm. serious enough that you'd pay to go to workshop. The current poll is real simple. We want to know how old you are. We're trying to figure out what right. what, uh, what age range you are so that we can sort of tailor the show to a demographic uh, in a way that might be more pleasing. So that's all up there on the blog. We have stories every day. Alex wrote a cute little story about his son's photograph that we posted the other day. We have how-to tips. a lot of tips. great comments on that. It was, you, you got a lot of comments. Was, People really liked your photo. Yeah. There, there, there's, oh. there's stuff every day there. Even though the show is once a week, we have stuff on the blog seven days a week, as well as links to everything we talk about, links to all of our stuff on Flickr. So check that out, twipphoto.com or once again, scottborn.com. You can just go yeah, to, we should uh, talk about that uh, workshop poll at some point because I know for me, I took a workshop once that made a huge difference in yeah. my, my life, almost a, a kind of a defining moment. And, well, if we uh, don't get a guest I, that we had planned for next week, we may talk about workshops all week. <laughs> <laughs> So, and, and what, what was that? What, what did you see, Steve? What, what did you... Uh... Um, well, actually, I took a main workshop. It, it was with Eugene Richards, who's uh-huh. kind of a mentor of mine. And uh, it was just an incredible experience. And it, it kind of opened my eyes to kind of what I was doing at the time. And I realized that I needed to go in a different direction. And, you know, the right workshop for those that are serious, like our listeners about photography, can have a, a huge impact on, on their future uh, photographic yeah, lives. So. I think that uh, it is... Uh, it, there's this mix of you want to go out and shoot a lot but there is this this critical area where you do want to talk to people who have been doing this for a long time and just oftentimes if you're shooting a lot and you're paying a lot of attention to what you're shooting and then you get these little nuggets of oh by the you know this is how i approach this um you know it can make a massive difference um in uh, in in how quickly you progress i've taught more than a hundred workshops on location and i still pay to attend one every year myself as a student because I want yeah. to stay fresh. I want new ideas. In fact, one thing I always encourage people to do, like if you're a wedding photographer, take a nature photography workshop or vice right. versa. You know, uh, if you're a nature photographer, take a wedding. Take something that's outside your comfort zone and yeah, see what idea. techniques that you can learn. Oh, well, this is what those guys do. If I, I could adapt this to what I do, then wow, I could step step my game up a little bit and stand out from everybody. So the workshops are absolutely worth it uh, if you find the right one, like Steve said. And uh, they don't all cost a fortune. Some of them are like, well, tomorrow I'm going to do an hour-long workshop that's 15 bucks and includes 12 more hours of Mac right. stuff. So, I mean, right. they're not all expensive. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, uh, also, um, I think that's... that's well, we have to find out where you're from. Where am I from? Um, Pixel Core? From Planet Earth. Pluto? Earth. Oh. Uh, <laughs> You, you can check me out at uh, at um, uh, Alex Lindsay at Twitter. That's the easiest. All place. on the Twitter. You know, it's 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 lots of random stuff. Lately, I've been talking about my son's uh, leprosy. <laughs> what? No, come on. What? We can't no. end the show there. 
That'll get everybody twittering. Everyone will be up on Twitter following me after that comment. I'm gonna go check it out right no, now. No, it turns <laughs> out, Alex. No, it turns out that my my, my when my son eats uh, Gerber rice food, he looks like a leper. Oh, uh, it, it's a hives and uh, Benadryl Uh-oh. is a good is is a, is a wonder drug. That's yeah. all I gotta say. And and yeah. uh, but it's really hard to look at. So anyway, I was I. Um, I'm know, so glad we the, found time to put things. that in the show. Those are the fine things that I like to Twitter about. You know, Scott <laughs> likes to Twitter about business stuff. I mostly Twitter about. You know, uh, gluing my fingers together and and uh, and my and my son turning into a leper and uh, stuff like that and and complaining about people on the cable car. That the occasional by. political rant too, by the way. Every, every once in a while, <laughs> it's almost over. That's all I got to say. All right, this is you, this 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 thing that you've been listening to is this week of photography. It is over. You can put that cap right back on. 